Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. We begin our program with a study from Stanford University. They want to know which is better for identical twins, a vegan diet or a meat-based diet? Well, we've all heard that notion, you are what you eat. Yes, that's true. And you are what you think. You are what you believe. You are what you actualize. Well, it rings truer now than ever before, especially when it comes to our heart health. And while the benefits of a plant-based diet have been long known, lots of research, thousands of studies, especially the Mediterranean diet, which is not strictly vegan, but it's as close as you can get uh, for a large population. Well, a recent study conducted by Stanford medical researchers in collaboration with their colleagues has shed light on the remarkable impact of a vegan diet on cardiovascular well-being. This groundbreaking research, published in the Journal of the American Medical Association's Network Open, reveals that adopting a vegan diet can significantly improve cardiovascular health uh, in as little as eight weeks. Eight weeks. Wow. And that offers a beacon of hope for those looking to enhance their heart health through dietary changes. Now, we've seen this in clinical studies. I've conducted well over 60 clinical studies, plus I've done over 100 health support groups, which are very similar to clinical studies. And I'll just give you one example. We took 500 individuals, that's how many would fit into the uh, Jewish Center on West 86th Street, where I, for years I did my my research because they had a large open room and uh, with microphone, and so I could get 500 people into a study. And the studies would be every week, once a week, for six months or a year. Now, in one study, everybody was morbidly obese or obese. Nobody was just overweight or heavy. And they had been that way for years. They tried diets, yo-yo up and down, and they all had different cardiovascular problems, high blood pressure, elevated cholesterol, fibrinogen, C-reactive protein, homocysteine levels very elevated. Now, these are markers in the body that when they're elevated, you're more likely to have a stroke or heart attack, and you will die sooner. It's inevitable. So what we did was we had two groups. One group was allowed to stay on a meat-based diet, um, the high-protein diet, lots of fat, all kinds of dairy products and cheeses. And the other group was on a strictly vegan diet. Now, the supplements were identical, supplements that are really good for you, like L-carnosine and L-carnitine, coenzyme Q10, vitamin C, vitamin E, tocotrienols. These are especially important for the heart. So both groups had the same vitamins. Both groups had the same exercise. We took them to the park. We got them into power walking and jogging. And this was all overseen by a group of medical doctors and nurses, even though there was nothing medical in it. At the end of six months, we had their blood chemistry checked. We had physical examinations on every single person. It was just remarkable. I mean, it was huge. Mind you, the only thing that was different is one group was taking a vegan diet. Both groups did juicing. Both groups did meditation. Group, both groups uh, had classes in 
uh, hypnotherapy. In fact, a Dr. Michael Elner and a Dr. Elaine Conan, doctor, uh, a doctor from Albert Ellis Center, and a very well-known and respected psychologist, Dr. Donald Mullen from the Albert Ellis Center, would work with them almost on a weekly basis for six months, trying to get them to de-stress. The only thing that was different is one had the protein from animals, the other had it from plants. There was a huge difference. The people who were on the plant-based diet, their blood pressure became normal, their cholesterol normal, their homocysteine, which might have been around 20 to 30 to 40, came down to four or five. They're same with triglycerides and uh, all cardiovascular markers. Their weight gain, uh, weight loss was substantially more. On the protein diet, their cholesterol stayed high, their triglycerides stayed high, their homocysteine stayed high. They did lose weight and they were more relaxed and their blood chemistry was not as good by probably a 50% measure. So mind you, the only thing that was different was where they got their protein. So this, this was 25 years ago, 25 years before the Stanford study, but I'm glad the Stanford study got out. Mine didn't. And uh, so, and it was, we did it over six months. They did it here in eight weeks. All right, comparing identical twins. And uh, so, vegetables, legumes, fruits, whole grains, nuts and seeds, get rid of the sugars, get rid of the starch, get rid of the caffeine, get rid of anything that has a heartbeat or comes from uh, a living entity, like cows all right, and pigs and dairy. Oh, and one last thing, blood sugar came down. It was averaging around 160 and many of these people are on multiple medications for blood pressure and, uh, and for diabetes. Most of them had diabetes. So they had high blood pressure, they had diabetes. The vegan group, no high blood pressure and no diabetes at the end of six months. The other ones still had about 80% blood pressure and uh, elevated blood sugar, though it had come down some. Our next study comes from Johns Hopkins Kimmel Cancer Center. Natural compounds derived from soy and other plants reduce breast cancer recurrence and improve your survival. What they're saying is that there's a compound called ISO, ISO, flavones, F-L-A-V-O-N-E-S, and they're among the plant-derived compounds that may significantly reduce the risk of breast cancer recurrence or death. And this was a new meta-analysis done at the uh, Johns Hopkins. So researchers from Australia, Denmark, England, Norway, and the United States reviewed 22 published observational studies that examined the impact of dietary intake of soybeans and lignans, L-I-G-N-A-N-S. These are compounds found in oh, seeds like sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, and nuts. All say they look at cruciferous vegetables like the cabbage family of vegetables and green tea. And these substances, the phytonutrients, the natural compounds derived from plants on breast cancer to see which of these compounds allowed a person to live longer without uh, recurring cancer. 
and that was important. And there were 11 studies of soy isoflavones, three of cruciferous vegetables, two of green tea, three of lignans, and three of uh, what are called introlactone, which is formed in the gut when lignans are digested. The good news is that soy isoflavones were associated with 26% reduced risk of breast cancer reoccurrence, and, uh, and that's important. That was 11,800 women in that study. The results were most notable among postmenopausal survivors. The greatest risk reduction was seen at 60 milligrams per day. That's not a lot. That's a small amount. That's equivalent to two to three servings per day. And, uh, like, and you could get even more of that if you have tempeh, which is more concentrated. Or soy, organic soy protein, where one serving equals one cup of soy milk. So three ounces of tofu or half a cup of cooked soybeans will do it for you. Not a lot. So if you have breast cancer, you certainly want to be taking this in. You can also take separately isoflavones as a supplement in higher amounts. Also, they found that there was good results if you took higher levels of flaxseed, cashews, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Those were among the best of the best. So, just another way that we can help women reduce death and spread of uh, breast cancer. And uh, a lot more on this is coming up on A Classroom on the Air I'll be doing. And by the way, if you're not aware of it, go to YouTube Gary Knoll channel and you'll see thousands of uh, conversations I have, including my Classroom on the Air, where I take a topic and I give you all the best information on that. Now, another study, this is from the National Institutes on Aging. They found that intermittent fasting increases cognitive function. A team of researchers with the National Institutes of Aging reports that they have found that putting mice on a diet consisting of eating nothing other than, well, eating their regular food, but every other day for a period of time resulted in improved cognitive functioning. Well, that's really good. We should be doing the same, but we should do it a little differently. We should eat our last meal as early as possible, though there are going to be exceptions. That's understood when you go out for dinner or you're going someplace beyond your own kitchen or you get in late, you're going to have a late meal. That's okay, as long as it's occasional. But for normal uh, occurrences, let's say you finish eating at 7 o'clock. Don't eat anything more until 7 the next morning. Give yourself 12 hours. That makes a big difference. That creates the same biological process in the body as intermittent fasting. But just one extra little thought on this. In 1972, I did a study at the Institute of Applied Biology where I was a junior scientist, and I decided to fast a group of rats. I fasted them every other day. And as a result, they lived over 27% longer than the group, same group that they came from. And I presented that at a monthly meeting at the different departments, 16 departments, and they found it was very good. They just never sent it out for peer review publication. I thought they did. 165 of my results, all positive in different areas of health and aging, were never submitted. Only one was on finding that all plants 
All nuts, seeds, legumes, beans, lentils, pulses contain all eight essential amino acids. Therefore, you never have to get your protein from an animal source. Well, look at all the scientific studies that exist, thousands showing that animal proteins cause disease and cancers. High estrogen in the animals, how they're cooked, heterocyclic amines, produce cancer. So not only would we have saved a lot of lives, but also we would have enhanced a person's lifespan because the other side of that equation that I discovered was that the more of a plant-based diet you're on, especially locally grown organic, the longer you're going to live, the less disease you're going to have, the more fiber you're going to have, the more phytonutrients, antioxidants, the chemicals that allow our cells to thrive. And they did it. Why? Because it was the only study that the director said would not challenge the pharmaceutical industry's um, funding for the Institute. So all my other studies, all positive, including when I, when I fasted the rats, and that was the first study ever done on the topic. Seven years later, Dr. Roy Warford at UCLA got the credit for that. And uh, it was considered a major scientific breakthrough. Wow. That's the politics of science. But I was young, naive, trusted, and I never thought twice about looking at the articles. I never go back and read my articles, by the way. I never go back and read my books. I never watch my old documentaries. I'm always so much in the moment that that moment is where I live. So had I looked back and said, by the way, uh, that study that I did uh, showing that a food can have energy in it that promotes health or food can have no energy promotes disease. Where did you submit that? Where was it published? But I didn't do that. Foolish me. Anyhow, um, that's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break and come right back. And here we don't censor. And here we are a platform for some of the most provocative, interesting, honest, and courageous minds in the world. You'll see that coming up after the break. Welcome back everyone, I'm Gary Knoll. Going to play some clips, and if you have something you'd like to share with us concerning what we are revealing, please do so. I have a really interesting program for our next Progressive Commentary Hour. By the way, I hope you downloaded the Progressive Commentary Hour with Ray McGovern. Completely different insight into uh, the CIA which he was a member of for 27 years, and how it became corrupted. This Tuesday, we're going to take a different look at January 6th. I haven't done anything on January 6th yet because I wanted to see more material coming out, more evidence, and it's now out. And you're going to have a whole hour devoted to that with some people who have very interesting perspectives. But what we're also seeing is that now a few, maybe 12 different members of Congress are really going full force against those who would corrupt our entire society. You don't see these clips on any news, no networks, and certainly not reported in any of the major media. But we do. I watch these. Yeah, we watch and see which, which legislator is taking on which person, because when you take on the CIA, when you take on the FBI, 
you then become a target. I don't care what your position in Congress is or the administration. So we have some courageous people doing that. For example, they're now questioning Fauci, who's suddenly amazing. He's, he forgets. A hundred times he didn't know. The, oh, I forgot. I, I don't recall. Did you ever hear him saying, I don't recall, when he was being interviewed a thousand times? Of course not. He knew everything. But this goes back further than uh, his being investigated by the COVID Select Subcommittee. This goes back to when he was a tyrant, where he oversaw everything involving HIV AIDS. Now, keep in mind, there were two groups within the uh, AIDS community. There was ACT UP that was very progressive, a very, very much looking for anything that was natural, non-toxic, first and foremost, that would help a person who was HIV infected and who had AIDS. Because back then, we were told by Fauci and Gallo, if you're infected, you're going to die. And then they thought you would die within months. In fact, some people actually committed suicide when they had no disease at all. They were simply HIV infected. They just had the, you know, the antibody. They couldn't even measure the virus. In fact, all the test kits showed, we're not measuring for the virus. We're only measuring for the antibody. Well, hold on a second. That contradicts conscious postulates in science. That's stupid science. That's bad science. That's corrupt science. That's, that's idiotic science. The antibody is there to protect the body. That's why you get a vaccine. That's why you get natural infection. You're infected with whatever it is. Now your body produces an antibody. The antibody then recognizes as it scavenges the antigen will then be attacked. Hmm. But now with AIDS, you rewrite all of science and say that it's not the virus we're looking for, it is the antibody because if you have the antibody, you're going to die. And it wasn't challenged. A few people tried to challenge it, virologists, and they were attacked. But the other side of this was there was another group within ACT UP that was purely pharmaceutical all the way. In fact, I met with both. I helped the ones, I gave them the latest scientific literature, I gave them, I invited them to come up to the Tri-State Healing Center where we were treating over two thousand people with full-blown AIDS and getting great results. And that became the basis of the International Independent Journalists Association doing a, a documentary, which was the most winning documentary in the world last year at the International Film Festivals. Over 200 awards because it showed the truth. It showed the patients who were cured, the doctors who did the um, medical applications, the nurses, Tony Brown, Bill McCrary, all these journalists who also happen just to be African-American, we showed all that and uh, in here. Yet, there was total denial of that approach by Fauci. He wanted nothing to do with natural approaches. Nothing. He didn't want to speak with the medical board-certified physicians, 22 medical uh, team we had. Nobody wanted to talk with them except people within the African-American community. Every night you go down there, you'd see people like Isaac Hay, Cicely Tyson, Dick Gregory, who's a close friend of mine, um, Stokely Carmichael, another good friend of mine. You'd see really Arthur Ashe. You'd see all these people every night. We were open seven days a week and never charged a penny, not one penny. It was free to them. It wasn't free to me, I can assure you. Thank goodness I had a lot of best-selling books at that time and lectures. 
but they not one died. Not one died. They all got healthy. Did Anthony Fauci want to know about that? Absolutely not. Gallo, not. Did the more pharmaceutical supportive act up want to know about it? No. In fact, they condemned it. But those who were in the act up who wanted to help a person but first, first do no harm, they came by. In fact, one of the directors, one of the founders of that came by and said, can I come in and help out and share this? I said, of course. Seven days a week. First it was done in my apartment. Yeah, up on... I just moved out of my old apartment for 20 years and I moved in, took over a brownstone at 82nd in uh, Riverside Drive. And that's, I took a whole, one whole floor I devoted to a counseling room where about 40 people could meet every night. And they did, Michael Wellner and this other gentleman, uh, and they had guest speakers in, they answered people's questions. Uh, they did a lot and they saved a lot of lives. That's the act up you don't hear about. But they had no power. And the other act up just went full full force against myself and everyone else who was actually saving lives. Listen to the irony. You're curing AIDS, not just helping, curing it. And the people who are causing the promotion of AZT, which is killing people, they're promoted, they're honored, they're recognized, and those who are doing the good job are denied and attacked. That's the society we live in today, just like with COVID. Who gets attacked? The doctors who are helping patients using traditional medicine at the beginning of the symptoms. They're the ones attacked, losing their license and denigrated by the New York Times and Vice and every other one of these uh, publications. The world is not changing. People are not changing. Listen to the clip. Watch the clip. Oh, also, by the way, they, I was in this clip, and I didn't even know it until Mitch, uh, Mitch sent it over to me, and I took a look, and there it is. It's a short clip, but it talks about Anthony Fauci. Go to the clip. The FDA will move as quickly as possible to address this issue and expand the, uh, the indication for, for AZT. He didn't even blink. This was entirely second nature to him, to unblinkingly get on television night after night and speak of this incredibly toxic chemical and i mean really toxic people with asymptomatic hiv infection since azt is a, is a drug that's already on the market physicians can can at their discretion prescribe it for whatever it is that they want to prescribe it for anthony fauci made a decision at a certain point and came out with it that anybody with CD4 cells lower than 500, though they were still healthy and not symptomatic of AIDS, should go on AZT as a preventive measure. All participants whose T4 counts are less than 500 should be offered AZT. I knew that the drug had come out of a, an anti-cancer program. Uh, it, it basically, it's a modified uh, nucleic acid. Our, you know, our DNA and RNA are made of of these little chemical bases, and when you modify some of them, they can jam the machinery of cells replicating. That's how a lot of chemotherapy drugs work, and this is just the same. One person I interviewed, his brother was perfectly healthy and had been 
persuaded to go on a high dose of AZT, and he was dead within a year, but also his face melted, melted away. It's like, it's, it's like Hiroshima, very powerful radiation. He was diagnosed. He had advanced AIDS, near death, just months to live, massive infections in his lungs, all over his body, uh, Kaposi sarcoma, lesions on his skin, high titers of the virus all throughout his body. And instead of being dead today, as most of the people taking AZT were by undergoing hyperthermia at the University of Rome, today he is alive and well. There is a successful series of treatments. I use the word treatments. Uh, there's no one treatment I think is better than any other. Hyperthermia, vitamin C drips, ozone treatment. I had taken my medical records down to the National Institutes of Health to Dr. Fauci's lab and showed them because they have presently discredited this treatment. And that's why our federal government has not allowed it here in the United States as of yet. Um, showed them my medical records. And what I did is I blanked out a set that had my name on it showed them and said, well, what do you think of this? Their response is, well, this person obviously got better. What did they do? Fauciism is a, an absolute contempt for natural non-toxic therapies, a contempt for the whole dialectic and discussion about what is an immune system, what is health, how do you detoxify, what does it mean when you're, when you're getting sick from a, a chronic illness, uh, is it just a matter of attacking the accused pathogen with the most toxic drugs kind of imaginable? AZT at the time was the most toxic drug that had ever been put in a capsule and given to human beings. They should also put in there what Larry Kramer, one of the leaders of the gay movement, to get proper medications into people what he had to say about Anthony Fauci. But the trouble is, here's this very powerful person who we assume is very smart. Every choice he's made has been extremely destructive. And yet he gets away with it, at least up to this point. Now, tomorrow I'm going to play you some clips that are going to be staggering. You have not heard them. You didn't know they exist. And uh, brand new information. I said that this battle will be won in the courts. And now there is a court action. But it's, I'm going to try to have the lawyer who filed the suit on the program. But you're going to see how everything about COVID was manufactured. Everything. So that's going to be on tomorrow's program. But Fauci can't have it both ways. He can't say that I'm the science. And then what, what was the basis of the six-foot rule? Did you hear what he said yesterday? I don't know. I, I, there's no science backing it up. Yeah, so all these little circles they drew everywhere in America and you had to stay six feet in the, the line, there was no science. None. And wearing the mask, there's no science. The science shows just the opposite. And Fauci even acknowledges in his emails, and I said this on the show, I said the mask cannot prevent the virus. The virus is a thousand times smaller than the pores in the mask. It's going to go right through. It's like trying to put a chain link fence and keep the mosquitoes out. Won't work. 
So everything you were told is a lie. The question is, why didn't you try to find out the truth? That's one important question. Two, why didn't the media tell you the truth when they had the resources to find the truth? That's the second. Why did the officials allow lies and mistruths to be told nonstop every day at every level of our world? So I can deal with these symptoms. And they did, and they succeeded their patients alive. One doctor alone at his clinic treated 20,000 people with COVID. Not one died. Not one. Early treatment. And these are not holistic alternative doctors. These are, ortho- these are doctors I would debate and have my whole career because of their arrogance, their closed-mindedness, their hubris of wanting to know anything other than what they specialize in. That's their only truth. That's their only religion. That's their only protocol. That's their narrative, and they stick by it just like a cult member. But what about the other ones? What happened to you? when it came to standing with those who were beside you at one time. You played it safe, you got money, the hospital got money. I got a clip tomorrow that's gonna surprise you from someone inside a hospital told how much money they made if they followed the protocol and the protocol was killing patients and they all knew it and they saw it and they said this protocol and they were told you follow the protocol the hospital makes money. If you challenge the protocol, you as a doctor will lose your license and we could lose our funding, our accreditation. Why don't they ask Anthony Fauci those type of issues? Are you aware of that? Because who created the protocol? Anthony Fauci. This, (laughs) and yet people still respect him. Well, of course the people in the media do because they have no choice. Everybody's guilty now who participated People who spread the virus, the vaccinated. People dying now, 90%, the vaccinated. So wrap your mind around that in that self-righteous moment of condemning people who didn't do it. Oh, did you forget that condemnation? I haven't. Now let's hear from someone, a short clip, who has the courage to shout out the truth. And we should all understand she is right on everything she said. Her name is Christine Anderson. She's from Germany. She represents Germany in the European Parliament, a totally fraudulent organization. That place should not exist. No one should belong to the European Union. It is a fraud from top to bottom at every level. Ask me, challenge me on its economic policy, the fact that none of the leaders of that European Union are elected, they're appointed, and who appoints them? Do you have any idea? And then you start connecting with the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. And who appoints the people to the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank? You don't know? Shouldn't you know? Who do they represent? Who did Macron, that pimple, you know, in his croissant, who does he represent? He was one of the bankers. He was one of the leading bankers in the world. He just brought that same policy to France. Now look at France today. The people are speaking out. She's speaking out. Remember her name. Here she is. Thank you. Based on Article 195, out that it would have been more appropriate for Mr. Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, to address this House according to Article 144, an article which was specifically designed to debate violations of human rights, democracy, and the rule of law, which is clearly the case with Mr. Trudeau. Then again, a Prime Minister who openly admires the Chinese basic dictatorship who tramples on fundamental rights by persecuting and criminalizing his own citizens as terrorists 
terrorists just because they dared to stand up to his perverted concept of democracy should not be allowed to speak in this House at all. Mr. Trudeau, you are a disgrace for any democracy. Please spare us your presence. Thank you. Good for her. Now, where are all the other members of Congress? Claire Daly from Ireland, those two together are really powerful voices for the truth. What about all the other people? If you watch that clip, you'll notice that Trudeau was in the House. He'd been invited to speak. Now, watch her speak when he's not in the House in Claire Daly. It's an empty chamber. It's like everybody gets up and walks away because they don't want to be associated with that truth. Then what are they associating with? Our next clip comes, we need more. We need people in our Congress who have the same honesty to challenge authority. In fact, uh, I'm going to try to find a clip, and Dylan, I'm going to try to find a clip of this one legislator challenging the FBI. It's a short clip, but if we can find it, she is equal to the Christine Anderson and Claire Daly, and most Americans don't know who she is and haven't heard from her. We'll show her. Now, this is Tucker Carlson interviewing Brett Weinstein. It's a short clip, but listen what they're saying. It's very important. Um, so, go back to the, the original story. Pharma had a potentially uh, tremendously lucrative property that it couldn't bring to market because a safety test would have revealed this unsolvable problem at its heart. And so what I'm wondering, my hypothesis, is that it recognized that the thing that would bypass that obstacle was an emergency that caused the public to demand uh, a remedy to allow them to go back to work and to living their lives that would cause the government to streamline the safety testing process so that it wouldn't spot these things. And indeed, one of the things that we see in addition to a lot more harm in those safety tests than we were initially allowed to understand. Um, but also the safety testing was radically truncated so that long-term harms were impossible to detect. So the hypothesis in question is pharma used an emergency to bypass an obstacle to bring an incredibly lucrative technology um, to normalize it in the public and the regulatory apparatus, to sneak it by the things that would ordinarily prevent a dangerous technology like this one from being widely deployed. So I think that sounds entirely plausible. Um, in fact, likely, very likely. But the downside for pharma, and of course for the rest of us, is that if you roll out a harmful product evading the conventional safety screens, you're going to hurt a lot of people. And then what? But 138 companies that, may, that were involved in manufacturing and distributing the vaccine, they're all military contractors. The Pentagon and the National Security Agency ran the entire pandemic response. Pfizer and Moderna don't really own those vaccines. You know, they slapped their their labels on them, but it, they, it was a Pentagon project. That was the top uh, agency, the lead agency on Operation Warp Speed and the pandemic was the NSA. And the second agency was the Pentagon. And when you start looking at, you know, it, as it turns out, uh, you know, the vaccines were developed not by Moderna and Pfizer. They were developed by NIH. They're their own. The patents are on 50% by NIH nor were they manufactured by Pfizer or by Moderna. They were manufactured by military contractors. And basically, Pfizer and Moderna were paid to put their 
stamps on those vaccines as if they came from the pharmaceutical industry. But, you know, that's not what they were doing. They were coming from, you know, the, this was a this was a military project from the beginning. This is an this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. This is an, this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. Sounds like the best of humanity. No, it's not the best of humanity. Here's what we now know. Here's what we can prove. That around the world, there were hundreds of biological labs. I'm only referring to those sponsored by the United States. Anthony Fauci, U.S. Public Health Service, run by a man named Collins, the CDC overseen by a woman named Walensky, and a rubber stamp group of buffons at uh, the FDA. The media was complicit, applauded, didn't want to see anything else. They didn't want to hear anything else. There was only one truth. My God, it almost reminds me of 1933 in Hitler's Nuremberg lectures, how people saluted, wow, have we gone so far into this madness. So, Fauci lied repeatedly, and he said, we've never funded gain-of-function research. Well, what about this Barrick guy? What about this Echo Alliance? Well, it's not gain-of-function research he did, and he did it in North Carolina. Okay. But then I find a clip of the very person who is receiving all this money, and he is in, I believe, Hong Kong, at a science conference where he is actually bragging about gain-of-function research and how they can alter the gene by cleaving in different uh, apparatuses. And he's saying this publicly around 2000, I believe it's around 2017. Then along comes a person, Dr. David Martin, the world's leading expert on who owns patents, and he finds that the virus itself in its altered state, was patented. Okay, why would you patent a virus that does not exist until you alter it and you weaponize it? You make it more lethal. The whole idea of any gain-of-function research is you're making something more lethal than what it is in nature. Your excuse is, well, we want to develop a vaccine, but why would you develop a vaccine for something that is not equal to what you would find in nature? You can, you can have a you know, a flu virus, an influenza virus, that changes every year. One dies out, another takes its place. And the body, in most cases, except for the very weak, uh, with a compromised immune system, are able to overcome it. We get the flu, we get a cold, a rhinovirus, whatever. There are over 100 different viruses that cause the cold and flu, and then you're well. Now you have the antibody. But of course, it does just almost never repeats the same virus but it's still you have an antibody reaction. You have a defense mechanism. So they're now trying to justify making a vaccine for a virus that did not exist until they created it. But in the process of creating, they had to weaponize it. So what did they do with this virus? Well, they cleaved in HIV. They cleaved in uh, a mad cow disease, the prion, Christoph Jacob disease, and another one for fatigue. 
So they have all these different diseases that you're likely to um, manifest if you get the virus. All right. Who authorized these biological weapons laboratories? These are offensive, not defensive. And what else are they producing there? And there's no committee hearings on it. And yet there's supposed to be Senate and Intelligence Committee hearings. And that means they're complicit. The Adam Schiff, they have not once, not once can you show me in the history of either committee where a single member of the committee has come forward and saying, even though I'm duty bound not to tell you anything uh, that is a state secret, uh, I'm going to tell it because these secrets mean that I am protecting the culprits of the CIA, their NCI or any of these other agencies, Defense Department, DARPA, and it's against the American public. So I'm for the American public. You've yet to have a single member of Congress come forward to tell you any of this, have you? And if you have, tell me who it is. I'm pretty good at this stuff. So tell me which senator, which House member on a Senate or House intelligence community broke any secrets that would have adversely affected the American public had, they, uh, had things gone through, not once. So why do we have these? These are all controlled. So how much money goes into these laboratories? Who oversees them? So Anthony Fauci then says, well, yeah, I signed off on every single contract. I just didn't read the contracts. He actually said this, as if we're supposed to believe this. The man is Mr. Science. You mean you're supporting billions and billions of dollars per year of taxpayer money, but you don't know what the science is for. You don't know where they're doing it. You don't know um, who's involved. No, I, I, I didn't pay attention to any of that. So you just rubber stamped everything? That's what he wants you to believe. That's what the media will try to protect him. Well, he didn't really have time to do all this. Yeah, he did. And he knew what was going on. So why? Because they were patenting the results of what was going on. And there in comes David Martin. He says this was intentional. He is correct. Here's all the patents. Here's what in dual use, including defensive and offensive. Offensive means you've weaponized it with intent. It's in the patents. But we wouldn't have known that if it weren't for Martin when he gives his speech up on the board. You see the actual patent and you see the description of that. That's hard prima facie evidence. And yet the media won't look at it. Fritz Perl, the father of Gestalt psychology, said a fear of knowing is a fear of doing. So we have a person that has millions of individuals working in laboratories and government offices and, and doing work. Very few of the results are ever positive. And then once they've created the virus, then they have to create the cure for the virus. But they haven't been able to cure anyone, have they? To the contrary, They're, they rushed the vaccine through so fast, and it's not actually a vaccine. And you'll find that out tomorrow. It's a biological product. And uh, everything you told, they told you it wouldn't do, it's now doing. And that's the problem. So Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is correct. The Moderna and Pfizer were not the ones who were responsible for all this. It's the military. And who oversees all of these labs? The military, the Defense Department, DARPA. So who controls the whole war on COVID? The Defense Department and DARPA. 
So why would you put all these in Ukraine, the most corrupt and volatile country in the world? They haven't answered that because they haven't been asked that. They haven't been brought in under oath to do it. If you'd like a list of all the people involved, it should be brought. That is easily obtainable. So, and how about the Chinese scientist who invented the vaccine before the virus was ever known to exist? And shortly after patenting the vaccine, which David Martin found the patent from this one Wuhan scientist, Chinese scientist, he then decided to commit suicide and jump off the building. End of story? Hardly. You see, you've just been, God, you've been played like you're idiots. But you're not idiots. You're trusting, and that's something you'll learn uh, what they did with your trust in upcoming programs. So just remember, Fauci was merely the tool. Only if you don't think money makes a difference, this is in today's British Medical Journal that I just read. Quote, Panel members for a new psychiatric Bible, received, that's the Diagnostic Cisco Manual of Psychiatry Number 5, received more than $14 million from industry, meaning the psychiatric and pharmaceutical industry. Quote, 60% of U.S. physicians serving as panel and task force members for the American Psychiatric Association's official manual of psychiatric disorders received payments from the industry totaling $14.2 million. This is published today in the British Medical Journal. Because of the enormous influence of diagnostic and treatment guidelines, the researchers say their findings, quote, raise questions about the editorial independence of this diagnostic manual. First of all, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychiatry is no better than a comic book. It is complete fiction. There's nothing in there that's based upon science. And who told me that? Well, one of the directors who I filmed for Manufacturing Madness. Yeah, there's no science there. There's no justification. It's all made up. There's no brain chemical imbalance. It's all made up. And then they sell you their drugs, and they get away with it because they've captured the agencies and they've captured the different groups, like psychiatry itself. And Fauci, he gave out more money than anyone else in the United States government. And that's how he bought the science. Now we're going to go, and I'm going to go clear to the top of the hour, so BAI will say goodbye at uh, 55. But I want you to uh, hear this one. This is really good. And if you're a person that is appreciated, uh, people such as Ram Das, I think you'll really appreciate this. Uh, this is just a different way of looking at, uh, at depression from Ram Dass. And by the way, younger people you may not know of Ram Dass. For all of us, uh, ex and baby boomers, we certainly will because he was a major voice uh, of compassion and spiritual healing during the 1960s and 70s. And this is called Break the Cycle of Addiction. Now to Ram Dass. When we were born, like um, Elizabeth Spring Dow, who was born here yesterday, we come into the world, we come from being fully at home and feeling that release that comes. We have a little shadow of it when we come home at the end of the day, those of you that have a home, and put your feet up or relax or have a cup of tea or 
whatever that is, that feeling of coming home or coming to a safe space or feeling back at peace or at one. And when we get separated from that, which, and that separation, I want to keep reiterating, is created by the mind. That's what the basic issue of the ignorance that is the root of suffering that the Buddha keeps pointing out. The basic root of suffering is thought, the clinging of the mind to things which separate one from all of it. Now, once that separation has occurred, there is incredible pain. We can call it being thrown out of the Garden of Eden. We can call it original sin, whatever you want to call that. I mean, there are different metaphors within different systems. But there is incredible pain. And in some profound way, all of our actions henceforth are an attempt to return to that being, for me, under Maharaji's blanket, or in the heart of God, or in the hand, or being the one, coming back into the one. And we develop a whole set of techniques that we say make us feel good, make us give us a feeling for the moment of, yeah, ah. And some of those give us that moment so intensely, and the rest of our life is so, so much pain of our separateness and so devoid of that feeling that once we find one of those things, for example, it might be a moment of sexual orgasm, it might be a moment of surfing when you transcend the dualism between you and nature, it could be when you're doing something like cooking, the way you turn into just the joy of the process, it could be, it could be any number of things, it could be any number of things, that when that occurs, and it works, it reinforces the behavior, and you start to do that behavior more and more because it feels good. It takes away the pain of the separateness. And the use of drugs, the use of material possessions, the use of relationships, all of it, when you get busy and get obsessed with relationships and wanting to get closer and closer to somebody, it is trying to get to the place where you come back into that oneness. It is, it's that yearning and you can feel it permeate the universe of people's consciousness. So when you look at addictions from that point of view, you see that it's not like evil, it is just an attempt to get back. The problem is that most behaviors that get you back is like what Maharaji said about drugs. He said it will allow you to be in the presence of Christ, but you can only stay two hours. He said it would be better to become Christ than visit him. And that's what you find out with most addictive things, that they give you a short rush, but they don't allow you to remain at home. They just allow you the taste of it. And then the minute you get thrown out because you weren't wearing the wedding garment, the minute you go back to heaven but you can't stay because you didn't come in through the right way, you end up feeling like I did something wrong, I'm bad. And then that starts a reaction of mind. 
so that you get, you come down, then you feel guilt, I must be bad, I should have done something else, why didn't I do the practices that would have allowed me to stay there rather than the thing that's short term? Because you see your predicament. What happens is that the, the opportunity for the immediate gratification, it's like what's called the, in the psychology, the choice of the, the little candy bar now or the big candy bar later. And with, with little children, they'll always grab for the little candy bar now because they want what they can get now. They don't, they don't have any delay of gratification. And spiritual practices compared to having sex or compared to taking coke or something is more like delayed gratification versus immediate gratification. So when you start to stand back and see your predicament and see what you're doing, there is a way from a spiritual perspective in which you begin with that slight bit of awareness to extricate yourself from the chain of reactivity that we're talking about. The chain of reactivity that goes from I'm feeling this hunger and then I'll go for the gratification and then ah and then the coming down, and then, oh shit, and then I should have done it the other way, and then I'm bad, and there's a whole chain of thoughts that go on. Every one of those is just keeping the whole process going. And as you develop the spaciousness, you start to look at where you can intervene in the process of the sequence that goes on. As the awareness gets deeper, you intervene at different places in the sequence. For example, the yearning, the hunger starts, and like for me, for example, I can, I've had strong addictions to food, so that when I am feeling unloved, I'll eat, and I'll get fat, it's a pattern. And then I'll hate myself, loathing because of my body and so on. And I'll go through it. Now, I understand the psychodynamics of that at one level, but let's take it from this point of view of the mind for a moment. The first place I began to intervene was when Manindra, my meditation teacher, said, Ramdas, don't you see that it's just old karma running off? And I began to break in at the point that after I had eaten too much to reduce my anxiety because my mother fed me food when I was upset, and I learned that pattern and all that stuff, I start to, instead of going into I'm no good and revulsion and all the sequence, I break the chain at that point, and then I just go back into my spiritual practices. Okay, instead of carrying out that whole sequence, I, I shortcut there. As the witness gets stronger, you start to go back in the chain further and further until as the, dis, the, the separateness is starting to come and the feeling of hunger, and as you're about to eat, you start to notice the fact that you're about to do that, and you, your mind anticipates the whole sequence, and you, in a sense, begin to see the emptiness of the form you're about to take. And for generally, when people come to me with addictions, I'm inclined to say, Start doing spiritual practices. Start doing the studies that will allow you to see yourself in a new way.
that will allow you to understand what that hunger is you're feeding in a new way. To just get a little different perspective on it. Don't worry about the addiction. It will fall away when it will fall away. And when you do it again, just notice it. And the, one, the line I always used, how poignant I am. How poignant the human condition. You know, I'm so gentle with myself. And what I have watched is the patterns of my obsessions and addictions have changed over time. There's no doubt about that. And yet I didn't deal with them directly head on for the most part. Because what you see is, and this is something that I'm sure I, I create a lot of waves in many people, including people that I love very dearly, that I'm close to, I see that a lot of the programs to deal with addiction end up creating a new addiction to being not addicted that is as bad as the addiction itself. That, I mean, when you meet somebody that says, I haven't smoked in three years, two months, ten days, and four hours, <laughs> you realize that their mind is as stuck as their mind was stuck in smoking. Maybe they won't die of cancer, they'll probably die of uptightness. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm being a little facetious, but in general I'm saying that dealing with things that are, which you're caught in, the minute you start to stop them, you invest them in a way. And so my suggestion is that you just keep cultivating the practices. And every time you don't, see when I, if I get up in the morning and I got up and I decided to stay in the dream state and not get up to do my sitting, that could start a whole sequence of you're no good, you'll never get to God. But in the time I'm saying you're no good, you never get to God, I could have been doing mantra. And when I realized, and I began to sit in meditation and watch the sequence of my behavior, I saw that all my... Again, that's just one of the many, many hundreds of tapes that Ram Dass did, and a very wise person. Now, coming up, right after this show, brand new program is called Word Up. Every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the host is Danny Katz, D-A-N-I, and... Uh, she is a communications consultant and creator of quantum languaging, a method to deconstruct the ways words and language shape human experience and how it programs our perception of the world and can be abused for nefarious ends. Danny established a reputation uh, in Los Angeles in the literary community, published in Los Angeles Times, LA Weekly, Vice, etc., and she was lead researcher and a writer for the highly censored documentary Plandemic 2 about the COVID pandemic and is the author of several books, including Word Up, Little Languaging, Hacks for Big Change. And her new program, Word Up, will explore the many ways our language conditions and programs are thinking, our culture and our current world, and more importantly, how we can transform ourselves and society for something far more beautiful with every word, aside from a generous smattering of culture and political criticism dealing with current events, social movements, and deconstructing conspiracy theories from reality and the misleading language behind groupthink. So coming at you right now, brand new program, and I've got about 10 new programs coming at you to serve people's needs. Have a nice day, everyone.